welcome to another episode of the Gentleman's Brotherhood. My name is Juan Sepulveda, and thank you for taking the time to join us as we discuss different topics about being a better man today. Today, I have the pleasure of being here with two excellent gentlemen, and I look forward to the conversation we'll have. I'm going to start by introducing my good friend and co-host tonight, Alberto Mella. Alberto, good evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And today we have the honor of being here with a friend and brother who has a very cool story to, to share with us today. His name is Alex Ruiz. Alex was the champion or is the champion. Uh, he was in season five of Forged in Fire, which is a bladesmith program. And tonight we're going to explore a little bit of this topic. Alex, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Hey, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's exciting. I've been refreshing my memory by watching the, the episode once again. I even shared it with my kids and they were super excited about it. And I can't, I can't help but to see a lot of uh, parallels when, when I looked at, the, at your craft and look at the different things that we discuss in our efforts to become better men and become gentlemen. And before we agreed to, to record, I had mentioned that Alberto wrote an article for the Gentleman's Brotherhood regarding tempering the metal and regarding the quench of the metal. So I wanted to start uh, first by talking a little bit about the physical aspect of your craft and then exploring a little bit some of the allegorical parallels that we may find in it. Uh, so could you just in... in briefly let us know how you describe your craft to someone who's who's never seen what you do now uh i can i can get lost in the weeds with description but normally i just tell people i i get things hot and i hit it with a hammer and so it starts to look pretty that's that's pretty much how i help <laughs> i'll break it down for people and it's kind of how it is it's like you, you start off with a simple bar of steel uh, very, very plain materials, and you can manipulate that with heat, with the hammer, or whatever tooling you're using, uh, and turn it into something beautiful. Uh, uh, you know, rough ashlar, perfect ashlar, wink, wink, you know. You, can, you take these things and you make them better based on the working tools you're given. So, um, and, and that's, the, that's the cool thing about it is I can take a bar of steel that would otherwise be passed up, you know, for junk early on when I was using recycled material and I would turn it into something else. Um, and yeah, that's really it. I'm just get stuff hot and hit it with that hammer until something pretty starts to emerge from there. And sometimes nice. I want it to look gritty, you know, sometimes. You have a vision and you work <clears throat> at your material until that vision gets closer and closer. Yeah. Uh, it's like right off the bat, you can find some parallels there with, with life itself, it's like you take something that is rough, something that is in its rudimentary uh, nature, and you have a vision of how it can become better or how it can serve a purpose in your life. And then you start working at it until it actually becomes or it becomes materialized uh, in alignment with your image. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> sometimes that, that includes drawing out a design because there, there are times when I wing it and 
sometimes it's a good, sometimes it's not. I won't, I won't be one of those people that professes, oh, every time I wing it, magic happens. I'm like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'll be honest. So there's times I'll wing it and that ends up in the trash, you know, but I took a shot. Mm-hmm. I took a shot. I failed. But what's that line? It's like, I rather you hit, I, I rather you aim for the stars and miss than not take that hit and, and hit. You know what I mean? So take that, oh, that, that shot and hit. Something like that. I'm, bar- I'm butchering that awesome quote. And, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do it all the time too with it. <laughs> I find myself saying, you know, it's like that quote. And then I'm like, oh my God, why did I say why did I mention the quote? And then I go through the quote, <laughs> I destroy it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I just did right now. Man, no, it was, it's a bump, a bump. No, but it was good. I mean, I, I completely understand. It's, it's, it's that effort that you put behind the, you know, like following that intuition. And I identify with that 100% because as an artist, I've, I've been able to see the pattern. When I plan my pieces and I have a, a starting point for, for them most of the time. So if you look at the percentages, when I actually plan for a execution of a vision, the results for the majority of the time are good are something that I'm proud of. Uh, but even though I know that I still have to follow my, my instinct like, Oh, you know, I think I can do something with this, pick it up, start working on it, see what I, where it goes. Sometimes it yields, great fruit other times is like you said it goes straight to the garbage but it's it's part of giving yourself that opportunity to to work with it and 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 be artistic be spontaneous yeah exactly um uh in in you know i never i don't call myself an artist there's 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 people in the bladesmithing community uh that they're like, oh, I'm an artist or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I mean, not, not to denigrate people who are who I wouldn't really say you're an artist or craftsman, but some people just, I look at their work, I'm like, there's so much detail, there's so much artistry to the piece that they're working on. But I never call myself an artist. I just say, you know, I'm a craftsman. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'll, I, and even when I do sculpture, I don't even say I'm an artist, but I'm, I have a vision. And sometimes I'll get artsy. And I say that with the biggest air quotes and an apostrophe a r t with an e and a, and a umlaut just to make it a little bit more art <laughs> you know uh but you know i have an idea and sometimes i want to express or convey an emotion with the piece but it's but yeah i i'm trying to be artistic right i've never called myself an artist not what you do like you're, you're, you're like i'm like i like that that's to me that's art you know well it's, it's funny that you say that because i see what you do and i consider you an artist so it's especially I, the other day I was looking through your, through your Instagram and we'll put links on it on the description for those who haven't seen it yet. And I saw, it looked like a wand. I, I don't know exactly what it uh, was. Yeah. Is it a wand? Uh, depends. Does it have a skull it, on it? Yes. Yes. That was a wand uh, or a pointer. I say pointer or wand. Some people, so uh, I uh, I have to I have to walk some of these little lines because some people are like oh it's a wand and I get certain subsect of people that are attacking me for daring to make such a thing, and I'm like look, it's also a pointer, you know if you want to go bibbity bobbity boop with it that's that's your that's your prerogative I use them in the class to point at stuff because I have a tendency to do this when I'm teaching, and doing this at 1600 degrees about a couple inches away from your finger, 
you know, well, I mean, I can't feel anything anymore, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I'll use that little pointer to, uh, to indicate where someone's like, Hey, hit here or keep an eye on this. So that's what I started making them as. And then someone said, Oh yeah, they look like they'd be wands. And I'm like, wands. And then I started doing collaborations with another artist with, well, with an artist <laughs> uh, on, on, on Instagram. And, and she does, she does the artsy stuff. She puts all kinds of gems and stones and sculptural work onto those base pieces of steel and really brings them to life but yeah the skull one um yeah that was fun and i actually posted a video on how i forged the skulls um oh i haven't seen that yet yeah so it's if if, like if you open my igtv it's one of like maybe four videos i have on there so and it's like my process to forging a skull and people are like uh it's like can you slow that down i'm like no (laughs) <laughs> I, i'll have to go back and do another video but yeah i'm thinking about doing a more in-depth version but you know i learned it from someone else so i'm like here's a guy who already did a video watch his video on it he, because my process is what he's doing i've, I've just taken a little bit more and added to it you know in, in in the gentleman's brotherhood we 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 talk about a lot of the different elements of becoming a better man and to elevate yourself to uh a better evolved version of yourself. And oftentimes that requires you interacting with other people that came before you that did something that you want to do, or that are involved in something that you did almost like a mentorship or a, uh, an apprenticeship. And there's many times there's great importance of having that one person that actually helps you break through and, and become better at whatever you're trying to do. Uh, what has been your experience with with that sort of relationship, mentorship, apprenticeship, and, and things of the like? Um, a lot of times, blacksmithing and bladesmithing can be insular. You're very, very, you know, you're doing this on your own. You learn. Now, we live in a technological age, so a lot of people can learn online. But there's no good, uh, there's no good analog for someone teaching you, someone mentoring you someone really who knows what they're doing telling you where you're messing up because you can mess up and not see it but having someone to be there objectively and say hey you know i'm seeing a a little bit of a wobble here or or a twist there or or this you should probably do this a little differently it'll make your life easier um and i didn't have anyone teaching me anything until like maybe i was a year and a half into my journey and then i I met another bladesmith, Tobin Yetho, who was on Forging Fire Season 2, Episode 8, the Pirate Cutlass Champion. Um, he's from San Antonio. Uh, I took a class with him when I was er- early on, when I was starting to make, just starting to make knives. And it definitely gave me a lot of uh, better ideas to, to forging. And then, of course, like my, my styles started to come into play. I diverged big time. I, I started going for more collector grade stuff and then i started finding myself and like why don't i do a little bit of both but um as far as mentor i i would say i've had i've had a lot of people in my circle that are fantastic bladesmiths uh blacksmiths but none of them like really been mentors you know because i don't see them very often they live all all over the u.s all over the Mm -hmm. world even um one who's been very instrumental and i'll always give him props is a uh, brother Ray Kirk out of uh, Tahlequah, Oklahoma. 
He's a master bladesmith, a Cherokee native too. Um, he's the only Native American mastersmith, I believe, in the American Bladesmith Society. Um, he's been on Forged and Fire twice. He's, a, he's kind of the fan favorite. Everyone seems to remember him as the guy who finished an hour before all the young guys and sat down and ordered coffee and donuts. Oh my God. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a good yeah, episode. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ray's a really good friend of mine. Um, and uh, he, yeah, he, uh, at 73 years old, all these young guys are looking at him like, what? He, he finished an hour before everyone else just sat down and placed an order for coffee. I don't have it, but I have one of his mugs. That's It's just like him holding a knife. It's just, now can I have my coffee? Uh, I don't I don't have it right now, but normally I'd be drinking from that. Um, but he's uh, I'm going to see him this weekend. He's driving down from Oklahoma, and he's bringing me some goody goodies from the shop. So he's bringing me some steel, some, some antler, because he knows I do a lot of integrals. And he's the one who taught me how to do that particular style of knife that I, I'm kind of pursuing a lot more. I'm trying to find that niche and kind of make my own little place in there somewhere. But yeah, definitely, I, I would say him and my shopmate definitely are, are the mentors because while my shopmate and I are wildly different stylistically, we have a very similar approach to quality control and forging. At, at the end of the day, if you don't have that, you don't really have a good piece. You know, if your quality control is there, then what are you doing? And he is super meticulous about quality control. And, you know, if he sees something wrong with the knife that I'm, like, I'm making, it may look clean and shiny and polished and got my name on it, got mammoth ivory handles on there. He'll look at it and he'll find something. He can point out where something might be a little bit like, hey, you know, I can feel this little raised area. You might want to sand that back a bit or, you got a little kink in the in the blade, just just a slight bit. You know, he'll keep me honest for sure, and so, so will Ray, and so will all the other mastersmiths I know, um, who have kind of worked as like mentors in passing, I should say. That's great. And what is your like instant reaction to feedback like that? Do you take it in stride, oh. or do you find it difficult to 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 accept it or absorb it? You've got to take criticism, especially in this field. If you're doing it as a hobby, you, you know, some people are like, well, you know, I'm not doing this as a professional. I'm not doing it to sell. But if you're a maker and you've got customers, you know, which is what I do, what I got, you know, I want to make sure my quality control is there. I don't want someone to say, oh, I like this knife. I just wish there wasn't this X, Y, Z issue, which mm -hmm. I know some of my earliest pieces had those. And it's funny because I know a couple of customers that I've kept in touch with from the very first few knives that I sold, where I know that the spine is too thick, the handle might be a little shorter than it should have been, or the uh, profile isn't exactly as nice as I would have wanted it. But they love it. They say, you know, I, where I'm seeing all the flaws in the world, they're just like, nah, I use this knife all the time, you know. I take care of it. You know, this one guy, I see him every year at, at, a, at a show that I do. And he always brings one of the first knives I ever sold. He brings it to me. He's like, yeah, put this to the ringer and look at how it's still doing. So I, every year I take a picture of it and I get to see it's like aged a little bit more every time nice. I see it. So, yeah. Probably make an um, animation after a while. Uh, yeah, I've got like, let's say three or four pictures of it from every year. But um, yeah, no, I got to take it in stride. You know, one of the, one of the guys, uh, Harvey Dean, who's one of probably one of the most amazing bladesmiths in the world. He's, he's, he's up there in like the top 20 knife makers in the world. He's out of Rockdale, Texas. And uh, 
I, he, I had a knife. This is when I submitted three knives of my best quality at the time to pass my Lone Star rank membership in the Texas Knife Makers Guild. And uh, they judge every part of your blade for that. And they got, you got to pass, right? So after I passed, I came up to Harvey and I asked him, what do you think of these? And he's like, you want my opinion or do you want a critique? And I said, uh, a critique? And he looks, at, he looks at the knives and he looks at me and says, all right, Alex, I'm going to need you to have to sit down. <laughs> not not in a bad way but like he oh. is he, at the time he was a sitting president of the american bladesmith society and also one of the most well-renowned bladesmiths you know in in the world so he's going to see everything and then some mm. because his quality is beyond what i'm doing now and for every issue i had he told me here's how to avoid it in the future mm. And, you know, that's what you need. There's constructive criticism, and then there's just jerks. Those I don't like. It's kind of hard to avoid the trolls. Those I'm like, man, shut up. Yep. Especially <laughs> online. You know, I avoid. I try to avoid them. You know, they're there. Um, yeah. But I, I, I really haven't dealt with it on, on Instagram, really. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. kind of surprising. I've had it a little bit on, on uh, Facebook for some reason. I don't understand why Facebook and not Instagram, but there you go. Yeah, there's there's a different dynamic there for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I find the same with uh, Instagram and Facebook. Facebook it has a lot of um, people who feel very emboldened and they feel very cavalier in their feedback or their opinion. And but as an artist, I think it's important for you to have that that confidence. And on the show, I have to say, when I, when I was looking at that episode where you're, you're alongside some tough competitors, there are great bladesmiths next to you trying their very darnest yes. to beat you. Uh, yeah. Um, for real. Um, uh, Andrew Wozniak and, uh, um, and uh, Bill Van Hederen, the two guys that went out before mike and i are real professionals like bill's a journeyman abs member american blazement society member and andrew is just some sort of a prodigy with the hammer um i mean he's like at sixty thousand followers or some of something now on instagram oh, wow him losing is him losing forge of fire did nothing to slow him down this guy just took that and took and just went boom he's a better bladesmith than i am i'll, I'll level with you i'm like he's doing awesome work He's a, he's a fantastic Smith. Mike is doing awesome work. He's got a shop. He's, he's close to, I think he's close to retiring or wanting to retire. So he can just like focus on doing decorative stuff and everything. And, you know, we keep, we keep in touch here and there, but yeah, no, they were, it was funny because when Mike and I went to the fight for the final round, um, he, uh, we, we, um, we went out to dinner the night before we filmed that final episode or final half of the episode. And um, so we went to a restaurant I really like in Brooklyn. I said, you know, let's just try this place out. Get some fish, get something to eat, right? Get, get a drink because we're both on edge. <laughs> and so um, he's like, you know, I don't know how us two yahoos made it to the end. <laughs> I was like, Because at the time we were both hobbyists. And, you know, it's just, you never know. That show will level the playing field. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's what keeps you humble. I mean, I think one of the best reactions I think to not making it to the final round was uh they brought back Burt Foster who's an who's a master smith not only is Burt a master smith 
if I remember correctly, Bert was on the judging panel for one of the judges to get their Master Smith way back when. So he is literally judging the work of the guy who gave him his Master Smith approval. So, wow. but Bert didn't make it. There was a crack in the spine, and he says, "Hey, he's like, it's easy to say, uh, don't be afraid to lose when you win, but he says, I'm saying it now as a as a loser. Don't be afraid to lose." And I'm like, "He's, I mean, he's a Master Smith. He's got he's great work. Nothing to prove at this point, but you know, uh, that kind of." Hey, you gotta take it in stride. You know, this this playing field is so evened out on the show. It's insane, especially for the newer episodes are just insane. So there's a lot, there's a lot about the episodes that we as viewers um don't are not privy to. Um, there's a lot of the process that we miss. Oh yeah. And 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 that's that's what I would like to ask about that. What do you think is something that you know viewers viewers should understand about blade missing that is is lost with all this cutting and production um the fact that we actually don't rush anything in the shop or we shouldn't um i mean when the show first came out the idea of forging a knife from start to finish from a plain bar of steel kind of seemed a little crazy because everyone kind of takes their time and, and everything with it Nowadays, the standard is like, if you couldn't forge this big blade in an hour, there's something wrong with you, which is a little bit ridiculous. But, you know, so if I'm using a power hammer in my press, yeah, it's going to get done quick. But you're losing a lot of how much time it actually goes into making sure we avoid the issues that you see in the show, like delaminations, um, cracks, uh, the, the uh, forgetting getting in such a hurry that you forget to drill your holes before heat treating. Um, things of that nature, you know, there's, there's so much that you lose in the show because, um, you know, those little bits where they ask you quite well, okay. Where they, uh, they're interviewing the person and they're talking in present tense about something that's happening in the cut. That's like, we filmed that after everything is over. So I'm having to remember something I did three hours ago and the producer's there with his little notes. He's like, Uh, Alex, you got to speak in present tense, like it's actually happening. I'm like, man, I don't even know what happened two minutes ago. <laughs> you want me to recall what happened? That the whole three hours ran by like a blur to me. And so, yeah, you do lose a lot of that. And they have you sitting down answering questions for like 45, 50 minutes, and you're only going to hear 20 seconds total of that in the show. So, you, I mean, that and silly, silly bits that never made it in to the show. There was so much, so many funny things that happened on our episode that we'll probably never see the light of day. Uh, us goofing around in the judging room while they're actually deciding which one of us is going home. We're we're goofing off, making fun of the judges as we're sitting there, and it's it's some golden bits that will never that'll never air. And uh, yeah, um, because we were all so nervous, we were trying to lighten the mood. And uh, I even I even dropped into like if you all remember Julia Childs the uh, the chef the French chef was her show back in the day. Uh, they were asking me why I wasn't doing anything. I was doing the canister Damascus, and you have to heat it up. You really really heat it up. I like to leave it in there for like 20 minutes just to make sure that it's solid. So when I go set my presses second set my welds on the press, I don't have the issue where you pop it open and all of a sudden it looks like a broken Pez dispenser and all your pieces are falling out of it. I want to make sure it's solid. So they got mad at me, kind of. They're like, you're, Alex, you're not doing anything. Said, yeah, I'm trying to make sure this is going to weld. I, I want to make sure it's heat, heated all the way around. 
and they're trying to get me to explain a process that's so so straightforward. And they said, well, can you explain that a little bit more? And I'm like, you mean the part where it's just let it get hot? <laughs> and 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 and, the, and then I had to break it down. There's like, well, can you give us a little bit more to that? I said, it's like rotisserie steel. You put it in the oven for 300 degrees and turn it every 15 minutes. <laughs> Bizarre. And, yeah. and so they never they never had that. They never aired that bit. But it's uh, you lose so much in the show. And I think not just the the creative process, but the funny bits. The parts that really showcase that we're not just nervous, which we are, but the way some of the competitors deal with that is absolutely hilarious, you know, and I wish that those would be like a blooper reel of all the stuff that has happened because my God, I have stories, some I probably still can't say, but stories that happen on set that, you know, I'll say after off camera, but you know. <laughs> How long uh, was the, the entire experience? uh day one uh we fly in day two we film that first half where it's like the, you make your knife and then day two you make the handle right and day three they test everything and each of those days you know it is three hours when they say three hours they don't there's no there's no turning back the clock there's no stopping the clock they they mean it but it's all the lead up to that pre-interviews, post-interviews, setting up lighting, setting up cameras, all the stuff that happens outside the, those three hours, that's what takes eight hours of your day. You know what I mean? So by the end, we get to set at seven o'clock. We're getting back to the hotel at nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. We're exhausted. There's no way we could do the whole show in one afternoon. You know, just not going to happen. Not with the logistics of production. And it's and interesting. Then, I was going to say, and then, you know, you, you go to the final round, you film for five days, you fly in whenever they decide they want you. <laughs> they fly in, you film, you, they film that final round in one afternoon, they kick you back to your hotel, you fly out the next day. So it's literally about, I don't know, like a week and a half of your time almost when you think about it. Um, so, yeah, I'm lucky I have the, the job that I do because I was able to get a lot of leeway on that. And yeah, it was, it was fun, but I might do it again. <laughs> no, that's, that's exciting. I love seeing the, the whole dynamic. Like when I mentioned earlier um, about the, about the episode, when I was watching the episode, I, yeah. I didn't notice your confidence. You, you had a level of confidence. Uh, you were presenting at a challenge, obviously, but yeah, yeah. I could see you were going through through your mind. Okay, I first have to draft whatever concept I want for it, and you took yeah. care of that step. And then you have all the different steps. You 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 looked very comfortable in the process, and I'm glad it looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it doesn't mean like it, it, when we talk about courage. Like courage doesn't doesn't mean you know. Uh, not having fear or not yeah. being nervous it's it's despite that fear despite the the tremors or whatever yeah, just yeah. going at it and, and getting things done yeah for sure it, you you got to approach it time time wise like uh just what's what's the challenge how much time do i have and i was very very regimental about how much time um i needed for xyz um and i don't know where 
where in the show because it said four years experience in the episode. I don't know where that number came from because I had only started blacksmithing at all in 2015 and I filmed in 2017 and I had only been making knives for maybe a year at, at best. So it's kind of weird that there's a four year mark and I'm like, I have no idea where that number came from because I started in 2015. So yeah, I was super nervous. I, I'd practice right before the show, forging something out. Uh, then they said, you gotta make a hidden tang. And that's something I still to this day don't like making uh, style knife. And, you know, I just had to be very methodical on how I did it. And I, yeah, I had, I had a moment in round two, which we'll never show because my friend was having a harder time because they focus on whoever's having the worst time. Yeah, uh, physically or, or, or visually having the worst time. I was having the worst time in my head and I almost walked off set in the second mm -hmm. round thinking I wouldn't have enough time, but something just told me push through, get it done. And, and I did. And, you know, that, you know, here we are having a conversation about it. <laughs> Great. What, what, a, what a life lesson. Like, like here you're under pressure. You are in one of the most visible moments of your life because you are before God knows what size audience, right? And- Well, they told us, it was funny. Uh, like you were about to say, you're in front of, you, well, I don't know who it was. Some jerk on set said, it's like, all right. So you got the cameras already here. I'm like, I'm looking around. There's like 40 people on set. You'll never see on the show, but there's 40 people running around at any given time. And uh, the guy, I don't remember who it was. He's all right. Once we get started, we're going. And that camera turns red. The little light on the camera turns red or whatever it is. He says, this is going to be viewed all over the world. Good luck. I was like, you Don't say that. I was like, yeah. I was like, you great. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but uh, thank you for scaring the daylights out of me, you jerk. They were probably hoping for... Uh, some more of those good TV moments where like, now you're really scared. It's like, that's going to make for good TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it did. Now, Alex, turning it, around, turning it around, um, we have been speaking about your experiences and what you have learned and the mentoring you have received. Mm -hmm. Turning it around, have you been a mentor how do you have mentees do you have a protege that is looking at your work right now and say i want to be the next alex reese well first off i tell him set your size higher uh second <laughs> <laughs> the second i would be like well here's here's the thing i teach a lot of classes and i have a lot of students who come back quite a bit i have this young young student in my class um uh, he's been, man, his parents really, really love the fact that he's found something he can really engage in. Um, and he takes all, almost all of our classes that, that we offer through, through the, through the shop that I've got, my, my shop mate uses, um, and that he's at all the time. So he, we have a location to teach and this young man is in there all the time. I'm watching him develop coming in with no experience to, Hey, something's not looking right. Uh, how do I address this or, or whatever to now he's self-correcting all those little things that he would be asking me like, well, how do I fix this or how to, he's, he's fixing it before I can get to him and tell him, Hey, you might want to, and before I can get to him, he's, I see the little gear turn 
where you stop, you look at your work, turn the tongs around, hit it in a different direction, and he's got it. And I'm like, because eh, eh, he's, he's so young, you know, the more, most of our students are like 18 plus or uh, between like 30 and 45, 50. So we have mostly in that range. So students as young as him, you know, really do stand out because there's not as many of them um, by comparison. So, yeah, he's definitely... I, I definitely say that I'm not, I don't say I'm his mentor, but I've taught him enough. <laughs> you know, he's taken enough classes that might fall into that category, but yeah, I, I'm, I like watching students self-correct, you know, the, it's because for me, that's the moment things click for you. That's the moment you no longer need your hand being held. You, you start to analyze something from a whole different perspective and these little gears start going off and you're looking at your work. And instead of asking, sometimes they'll just look and then they'll start, well, if I hit here, this changes here. What if I hit? And then they start figuring this stuff out on their own. And normally it's on my walk to them. Like I'm walking towards them to like, all right, buddy, this is where you're messing up. That's not what I say, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, I've seen your struggle. Let me, I'm heading over there. And then all of a sudden that little gears, I see it, see it click. And then they start fixing it on their own the right way, or at least the way that you know, I would, I would objectively say is the right way, but you know, they start fixing stuff. And I love seeing that part, that little moment where, you, where someone can just, aha, the aha moment. There it is. You know, that's what I'm talking Eureka. about. Exactly. Yeah. When, whenever you have those kinds of dynamics, um, I find it fascinating to see that uh, you don't always have to tell someone, okay, here's what you're doing wrong here's what you need to do next. Most people, especially when you are close to them or whenever you have some sort of relationship with them, all you need to do is to start like having a dialogue or having a conversation and asking some questions. Like what, what led you to this decision? Like what, I, I, I'm not privy to the previous steps. Can you give me some insight as to how you got here? And sometimes in that, um, when you give people room like that, you, yeah. it's almost like you prompt them, but this is let them do the work. It, it can be way more effective than if you actually go, like you mentioned, and hold their hands and actually yeah. do the moves for them. So uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear you mention that. Yeah. Now, in, in, in the spirit of exploring your development as an individual, right? Yeah. Now that you are in, you're an adult man and you have things that you are doing that are gaining you some recognition, right? Yeah. Uh, you consider an artist by some of us. Uh, what would you say is something that perhaps you wish you had more exposure to earlier on? Uh, something that perhaps could have given you a better chance at reaching some of your goals sooner or with less uh friction what, what comes to mind when I mention that I think uh, for me I think classes if I had taken maybe a intensive blacksmithing class at like I don't know maybe the John C. Campbell school or or made the journey to go to Thomas Latane's shop who's a who's just an amazing amazing blacksmith uh, the work that he does is akin to what I consider perfection in this blacksmithing world and um uh, you know, I wish I had done that or maybe gone to the American Blacemith Society School and learned some of their techniques 
Um, although I wonder how much that would have changed my approach and my style because mm -hmm. early on I didn't have anyone. I was kind of just figuring stuff out. So a lot of what I did developed on its own versus if I'd spent time around one person or one style of, of, of teaching that my style would have just become kind of cookie cutter, like what everyone else is doing. Um, so I wonder that I think about that too. I'm like, man, I wish I would have taken classes. And that's still, I still want to go and take classes with these guys, with the brother, Steve, brother, Steve Schwartzer, who's an American master bladesmith, American bladesmith society, master Smith from Florida. Um, he's the longest serving member of the ABS. He's a, uh, and you know, he, he calls me his brother from another mother for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's AF and AM down there, but um, yeah. So I want to take a class with him. You know, uh, he's one of, he's, he's, he's inventive. He doesn't stick to one style. He keeps on trying, finding ways to innovate. And he's been doing this since the seventies. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, I wish I would have taken classes. I wish I would have learned from other people because as, as cool as, as it is to say, Oh, I'm self-taught. I did that myself. Nobody taught me. I mean, it's cool to say that, but at the same time, you 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 have a you've built up a lot of mistakes before you get to that point. I've mm -hmm. got buckets full of failures of of pieces that just didn't work. And if I had someone teaching me, I probably would have saved a lot of money <laughs> getting to that point. <laughs> let's 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 not let's not let's not let's forget not forget mistakes cost money, and I spent so much in mistakes early on as an as a maker um so yeah that's the thing classes learn from others who know what they're doing mm -hmm. yeah and don't be afraid to ask yeah uh, never yeah don't be afraid to ask questions now if i if i were to ask you um there are <laughs> men out there that are listening or or watching this conversation yeah. and maybe it's not blacksmithing for them maybe it's something else that they're interested in in doing but perhaps they they may feel that it seems unsurmountable it seems like very challenging i'm afraid of taking that next step like what would you say to someone like that in light of what you've learned in your own journey i mean you gotta take a chance somewhere i mean good to go back to the quote that i butchered and won't do it again because i will butcher it a second time um you know <laughs> it's, it's very perfect much... <laughs> Okay, that one. Yeah, it does. It does. But, you know, um, I've failed not just in my shop in private. I have failed in front of crowds, like huge crowds. I, I, I tested for my journeyman Smith uh, performance test. And I have a crowd around me, 50 some odd people. Some of the best makers in, in the world, essentially, are in this crowd watching my knife get put through its paces so that I can go on to submit my five later on for, for my journeyman rank in the ABS. I didn't make the cut, no pun intended. Um, uh, there was the slightest of glinting on the edge of my knife, like uh, because I pulled my knife edge so thin that it held up, but the problem was I made it too thin at the edge that there was a slight glinting, which it's still sharp, but because Harvey Dean, the, the, the guy who was there who was testing me, he, he, he stopped. He says, Alex, I wish I could say this passed. And he said this so the crowd could hear. So, I wish I could say this passed. But because I see this, I can't let this pass. And he says, everyone, I just want to let you know that the margin of error on this was so thin. He said, just 
we're talking something that's almost imperceptible. And he says, if I hadn't looked at it just right, I would not have noticed. But he says, because I notice, we can't let you continue with the testing for, for the next half, which is you put your knife in a vise and bend it 90 degrees and it survives, you know? And was I bummed? Absolutely, I was bummed. But you know what I did? I made a whole post about it, post pictures of the failure and all that and, and everything. I wasn't trans, I wasn't gonna hide the fact that, hey, I failed this test. You know, I let people know, let's, I, I, I think the post starts off with, let's talk about failure mm. and how do you accept it? You know, it, it, it's that, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about there. You know, I like that, you know, having that openness and that vulnerability, especially for people who are being looked at by others, you know, you, you recognize, I'm sure that there are people that have seen you on the show that have followed you on YouTube or Instagram yeah. who look up to you. And being perfect at every moment is great for the aspiration, but not for that um, yeah, identification. Like they can't necessarily yeah. feel like, oh, I'm like this guy. And I think that opens doors. And I've seen this with people that I follow. When I see them at their most human, I realize, oh, man, you know, I... I identify with that. It's almost like you make a, a deeper connection with people whenever you're able to see that openness and vulnerability. So hopefully, you know, someone out there listens to this and, and, and recognizes. And, and I, I try to keep this in mind because of course, uh, I have my podcasts, YouTube channels, Instagram, you name it. And sometimes I spend so much effort trying to put out this perfect image uh, at, as an example, I recently posted about anxiety and depression. Uh, I've never talked about it uh, openly, but like these are things that I struggle with in, in my life. And being it, the message that I, I was trying to convey is that it's okay to not be okay. Like that is part of the process. It's, there's nothing wrong with you if you have these situations that are... Uh, perhaps holding your back or making you feel a certain way, which by the way, uh, an aside, I love Imagine Dragons and they have a song in their latest album called It's Okay to Not Be Okay. Anyway, for whomever likes them. <laughs> but it's, I think it's important for us to see that from people, especially people that we follow or admire, people that we, we want to, uh, to emulate in one way or another. The, the, that finding that that glinting is that what you called it yeah finding that occasional glinting on the edge is important yeah and uh i i've i've been pretty transparent about you know failures like you know i'll talk about it like uh there, i had a, a knife i was doing for a customer and um it's an integral knife so the bolts the blade slots so the, the little crap i got one right here <laughs> Um, oh, nice. this is, yeah, this is made by a friend of mine, but it's a bar of steel and then a little round bar and it fits right up to the handle and it's pinned down in here. Well, the knife that I was doing somewhere in the night, the jig slipped off and the epoxy that holds the knife in there, for, you know, well, it doesn't really hold it in there. It kind of makes it waterproof and it holds it to a point. Um, it separated and it came out because of the epoxy's like expanding a little bit it pushed the the blade out of the handle 
and I came back the next day because it takes like 28 hours to set. And it was gapped about, I don't know, a, thir uh, a 33, 30 seconds of an inch all the way around. Oh. On an, and an heirloom fit knife, which, you know, should never have that at all. You know, like, and I was like, all right. And I posted on my story with like fancy Baroque music in the background. Like it was like <laughs> a mystery, like a, like a, what's the name of that show? Like a, a masterpiece theater, Mas you know, yes. da -da 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 -da. and I was like, I was like, Tonight on Forging with Alex, watch me fail. <laughs> and then I just launched into like why I failed. And the customer was was following. And he's like, oh, damn. I was like, that's that sucks because he knows it's his knife. And I was like, he's like, don't worry. I've already started another one. And he was like, wait, what? And I was like, no, I'm already got the other one glued up and and, and pinned pinned together. It's it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And I shipped that out to him yesterday finally nice. <laughs> so i got it out so he's actually another bladesmith which is really cool when i have other knife makers buying my stuff but yeah you know i'm transparent i'm like hey look this failed here's why it failed or here's something that failed and i don't know why anyone cared to weigh in like what was the problem here and sometimes i get good answers sometimes i get why'd you even get involved in the conversation type answers but you know it's just yes. part of the conversation yeah. it's like uh it's the to uh, to drop back into the other half of my life in the in a lodge getting prompted by someone who doesn't know the work properly and then you're you're the one being prompted by the person who should not be prompting to begin with that's the kind of you know exactly what i'm talking about so that's what i'm that's what i that's the kind of stuff that i deal with too when i pose those questions online for sure you know i was very pleased to to find out that uh, Brother Alex is is a member of the same fraternity that I belong to. We're both Masons, and to answer your question, we're free and accepted down here in Florida. Okay, there yeah. you go. Uh, so yeah, hopefully one day we, as we say in uh, in the in the Caribbean and Latin American in, in Latin America, hopefully one day we get to adorn columns together. There you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, so brother, I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate the insight you share with us and the inspiration. Um, uh, Alberto, do you have anything uh, that you want to know from Alex before we, before we proceed to close? Uh, it was, it, it was fantastic uh, li listening to you, to your, your experience, because as a, uh, number one, as a, as a fan of the show, really appreciate it so much. Thank you for, for, uh, for sharing that with us. Um, there were so many parallels uh, that I take from that show and that in inspired me the, the, to, to write that essay, a little piece, uh, article that I wrote. Um, and it's because, you know, in, in Christianity, we had this, this um, you know, you, you, you're made out of clay and, you know, mm -hmm. Lord, renew me, make me new out of clay. But what if... In reality, we're just not clay, but metal. And I'm always thinking about that. And it's always the, the, the getting in the fire and getting pounded by experiences and over and over. And so I just admire the work you do. I admire, I admire the trajectory you're going and I wish you the best, man. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. We're going to add links to, to the article in the description, if you haven't read it yet, uh, I, I encourage you to check it out because it, it draws parallels between the art of bladesmithing and our uh, 
the different aspects of life and how we deal with pressure and how we handle tension and all that kind of stuff. So, so it's great. So Alex, thank you so very much for, for joining us. And uh, I look forward to seeing the rest of your, of your creations. Uh, me and my kids are going to follow you. They had to go to bed earlier. Uh, I, I told them that I was going to try to get them to, to meet you. That you have two oh. little, you have two little fans down here now in Kissimmee, but you know I'll catch you up later uh, at a different time so you can. Yeah, yeah, just let me know, man. It's no problem. Yeah. All right, thank you so much, and for for those uh, who follow the Gentleman's Brotherhood, thank you again. Thank you so much for our supporters on on Patreon. Uh, we give some behind the scenes insight as to what we do to help men in, in the pursuit of becoming a better man today. So thank you as, as always for listening. Thank you for being a part of the gentleman's brotherhood. And until next time, I wish you courage and courtesy. Mm -hmm.